Hear now the words from 2 Corinthians 4. Take a minute to settle yourselves and see what glimmers out to you from these words. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the word of God for the people of God. I hope something shone out of those verses for you. And I think sometimes when you spend enough time with a passage, like I have with this one in preparation for this sermon, some passage that you thought you knew backwards and forwards, you'll find yourself surprised again. And I certainly was. That's the case for me here. So I wanted to tell you about a few things that I found in addition to whatever hopefully you heard and found. So let's talk for a second about context. Um, I have a professor or had a professor at seminary, Professor Anetta, and she actually excavated in Corinth extensively. So she told us a lot about the city. And what's interesting is that it's actually quite a bit like San Francisco back in its wild heyday. Uh, they're both coastal towns, uh, stuck out on a spit of water, surrounded by other coastal towns, each one with a thriving sort of ship merchant-based economy, and super diverse. One of the things that my professor really tried to make clear to us is when you think of this letter, think of the people that were hearing it for the first time. So we were talking about a really diverse church. Uh, because it was a seaport town, you would have had multiple ethnicities, people of different religions, and they had gathered in this church with which Paul seems to have something of a complicated relationship. Earlier in this letter and other letters, it sounds like He's really parental with them, sort of directive and trying to get them on board. And part of the reason is because the ideas that he's sharing here are really new and really controversial. <coughs> Excuse me. That such a thing as resurrection was real, that it was promised to regular humans that bodies were temporary but housed a soul that was eternal and as a result of these things that pain and challenge and suffering were not pointless these were really hotly contested ideas not just as christianity was finding its voice and its shape in these early days but in the wider world these were big philosophical issues is there a soul if so what happens to it 
Do bodies come back? So Paul is really engaged on this process of explaining these things, and it has to come from a place where they will believe what he's saying. And the only way to do that is to speak from himself. It's because they were new that Paul says, I'm speaking from my belief, out of the depth of how strongly I believe, but it's not just mine, it is a connection to a whole range of historical promises that God has made. Christianity is this idea that God reveals God's self to humanity over the years. And it's the keystone to the argument that not only is the work and the theology on which Paul is engaged truthful and life-changing for him and for the people to whom he's speaking, but it's that it's this culmination of promises. It's, it's the summation of things that have come before. So the hope and the inspiration that Paul is sharing here is rooted in this idea that goodness and community and an eternal future are not just for the privileged few. It's for everyone. That the difficulties of this life don't just end in darkness, that there isn't a special reward for some, but rather something for all. So that brings us to this, this problem that I have with the phrase slight momentary affliction. Um, because <laughs> there's nothing particularly slight or momentary about the things that some people have to live with. Whether it be born, being born into a body that doesn't match who they are on the inside, whether it be acquiring or being born with a disability, whether it be growing up poor and never being able to break that cycle of poverty, these are not slight momentary afflictions. So, <laughs> what do we do with that? Well, we have to do what Paul did, which is to position this in a chain of stories that accompany the promises that God makes. We believe, and so we speak. As Paul says, he's part of this host of speakers, and so his version of his story is that this is a slight momentary affliction, and I weigh it against that which I treasure the most, which is immediate presence with God, which is something that I can only apprehend here in this body, but someday I'll be able to see face to face. That's how he weighs the impact of what he experiences. But the great thing is, is because this is a chain of promises and a chain of simultaneous stories, we have other people to turn to in our scriptural faith that give us other voices. For instance, David, who is a complainer, but he's also honest. This is not okay. I cannot imagine how this is all right. And for a really great example of that, we have Job, who says this cannot possibly be what God intended. So part of how we define the story of our own life, how we tell it to ourselves, is to look to this long chain of stories that we have, and we find one that says, yes, this reminds me of my experience too. And I believe it, and so I speak it. So your own life, your life is different than Paul's, it's different than David's and Job's. But nonetheless, speak it and find a story that mirrors your own to give you strength to do so. Tell others, write it in a letter, make theology out of it because that's what Paul is doing right now. Speak to this moment of your life and the story that you have. In this passage and in the verses on either side of it, Paul is telling this story of struggle and pain and what it's worth to him. 
It's struggle, but with purpose and direction, that grace and thanksgiving may increase among the people of God. But it, I have another little problem. <laughs> it sounds, and it's certainly been historically employed to do so, as if we're born to unchanging suffering, and our only way out is this imagined heavenly future free of bodies and the broken world. And I want to grant some space and gratitude for how much that promise can mean. A friend of mine said to me a while ago, we were talking about this idea of heaven, this idea of triumphantly being free of what breaks us and binds us here. And she said to me, for my family, for what I've come from, for what we have had to live through, I need to believe in a God that triumphs and takes me away from this place. And that... That's right here in this passage. There is hope and inspiration in the idea of something different and something better, the immediate apprehension of God. And I get that, and I want to hold on to it, but I also want to be careful because as much as that can make a difference for someone living with disability or poverty or racism or homophobia, we don't want to see that narrowed, life and just let it be as if it's okay this promise of a good future of being with god in a way we can't imagine it's not escapism it's work now work now the task is not to just encourage people to to move forward in their lives and it's certainly not to encourage people to ignore the pain and the evil in the world around them or in their own lives keep them somehow complicit in their own destruction by saying glory in the sky by and by. No, it's that the future that is vouchsafed to us because of our belief in God means acts that happen now, choices we make now, have lasting eternal impact. We know this because all of Paul's letters focus on this. All of Paul's letters focus on individual acts in communal settings. How are you choosing to live now? How do you accept discipline? How do you dispense discipline? How do you break bread together? What do you do if you fall out with someone? How do you express love to someone? These are acts that happen now. And he speaks to those because they have lasting, eternal impact. If Paul was simply trying to keep people immobile in their affliction, if he was denigrating everything about this earthly life and body, and sometimes Paul is presented that way, even by me, he wouldn't have bothered to spend so much time talking about how we live together. He demonstrates that everything is in service of eternity and a relationship with God that we hope to have in the future in a different way. How we live now as individuals in a community demonstrates those qualities we say have eternal value. So Paul positions himself and others as part of this great chain and it's so strong, this spirit at work to change the world, to change you in the world, that you must speak as Paul does. We believe, and these things we believe are so important and life-changing, we can do nothing but speak them to the world and affect change for the world we live in now ourselves and the world we want to see reflected around us. So this promise, this hope of being with God when this earthly life is over, doesn't mean this earthly life is without value. Rather, it is all that we know and is thus of 
infinite value to the future we want to walk into someday. It's not just encouraging words for the current struggle. It's not just a hope for something better in the future to hang on our wall to keep us moving forward one step at a time. It is all of those things, and it's a promise that pain doesn't last forever, but it also means that your life and your struggle and your story that you choose to speak matter now. So, some of you may know I spent my youth in Colorado. I was homeschooled in the mountains, 40 miles from town. It's like a movie. And one of the things that my dad taught my, my two siblings and I is what to do if you get lost in the woods. And we were always in the woods. We were hikers and foragers and hunters, and if you were me, you were also a reader, and I got very good at reading and hiking simultaneously, a skill to which I still have this day. But especially in the deep woods, if you're lost, one of the first things you have to do is find your horizon. Find the edge of things so that you can begin to orient yourself to where you are. Once you have that, once you have a place to describe yourself against, you can start to find your way home. So that's that's the last thing on my mind. The hope of our eternity with God is not an escape that we should remove our eyes from the world around us now. It's not a denigration of the bodies and lives we have now. Quite the opposite, Paul says, we believe and so we speak. We speak to the now. It connects us to this chain of believers and prophets. What is happening matters. What we sacrifice, what we overcome, what we choose to not put up with matters now. And the promise of this passage is that there is a horizon. The promise of this passage is something to orient yourself around and against. This hoped-for future helps us make meaning out of that which seems meaningless or seems overcomable, seems impassable. We have this horizon of a promise, one in a chain provided to us in the sacred text that we've been entrusted with. So we orient ourselves in the world in this way. We speak the truth of our story be it joyful or one of challenge, at least in the moment. We speak because this life and this world have meaning in this place and time. I was reading Stephen Hoser this morning, and he said, God chose life, and therefore human life is good insofar as God chose it to be the vessel in which God reveals himself to the world. Now, leaving the gendered language aside, I agree. God chose this creation and chose you within it to reveal God's self in the world. So speak to this moment as you experience it. Find where your horizon is. This this promise of, of being with God in a way that we can't imagine is not just hope for the future. It's strength for the now in the story that you choose to tell. That's what I saw in the word of God today. Speak to the moment. 
Speak to your own story. Speak to the stories you want to make better for others. And find that horizon of hope, something to orient yourself so that you know the person you want to stand next to one day is the same one that Paul is talking about here. Amen.